0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, you guys, the Other People podcast is a free show. All episodes are offered freely, more than 500 and counting. There is an Other People app. That too is free. It's all free. You can listen to everything for free. So if you would like to support the show, You can do so at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. If you like the program, if you want to show some support, patreon.com slash otherpplpod. There's a helicopter flying over my house.
1: You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common.
0: Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Gee, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like
2: your head exploded seeing what was really there.
1: And now here's your host, Brad Listy.
0: Just one person at just hey everybody, one time. How's a oh, welcome right, to right. the <laughs> Other People Podcast. I'm Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. It's nice to be with you. Jamie Attenberg is back on the program for a second time. She was just here a few days ago to uh, talk with me. She is celebrating the, the paperback publication of her latest novel, All Grown Up, which is available now for Mariner Books. So Jamie Attenberg in just a minute, uh, what can I tell you about my life uh, at this particular moment? It has been uh, hectic. I feel like it's always hectic, but it's been extremely hectic lately because uh, my wife, Carrie, has gone down with the flu. She got this terrible flu that everybody's been uh, getting over this, you know, the past few I guess months now. Uh, I had it over the holidays. I know what it's like. It's no fun. So uh, I think it was like last Thursday she got it. And I've basically been uh, on my own since then because we quarantined her. We put her in a room. We sealed it off. We don't want the kids to get it uh, for obvious reasons. So I'm juggling both kids. My daughter's on spring break. She doesn't even have school. We've got Twiggy, the puppy, which I think a lot of you guys know about. So it's me. Two kids, a puppy, I'm like that's it. And uh, last night, River, my son, he's two. You know, he got up at like 11 and, and I, I should have just rocked him down again. I should have just sat there for like an hour or whatever it takes, rock him down, get him back to sleep, put him in his crib. But I was lazy, so I brought him into my bed. And that means that like, I didn't sleep. I thought I would sleep, but I didn't sleep. He was like squirming in bed all night. He kind of slept, but I didn't sleep. So then I had to get up this morning, take him to some appointments. I'm like chugging coffee, trying to make breakfast, take the dog for a walk somehow. It's like, it's chaos. So, you know, there's that. It just feels like the last few days have been very like medical and, uh, hyper scheduled. There's been like job interviews in the middle of it all. Like, you know, like video chats and stuff like that. It's intense. So, uh, there's that. And then prior to my uh, wife, Carrie getting the flu, like river, we thought had an ear infection. So Carrie, like she used one of these doctor apps, I guess these are popular now you have like an app and you can just have a doctor come to your house. You don't have to get in the car, which, uh, in Los Angeles isn't, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. So she, she's like, she tells me, you know, she told me earlier in the day, she's like, you know, I'm going to have a doctor just come look at his ear. I used the app. I said, okay, I kind of forgot about it. And then, uh, you know, it was like right around five o'clock in the evening. I was, uh, I had just taken Twiggy like for a quick walk around the block. And I was like just at our porch and I turned around and there's two doctors in like white lab coats approaching female doctors. And they were young. Like, that was one thing I noticed. Like, this is something that you notice when you get into your 40s. Like, all of a sudden, your doctor is, like, 28. <laughs> and uh, there's, just like, a young uh, woman doctor. She had, like, a nose ring. I'm like, wow, like what's going on? Never had a doctor with a nose ring. She looked like she, was, like, just got back from Coachella, you know. But uh, whatever. So I, I uh, let the doctors into the house. There's like a doctor, and I think then she had like her, uh, you know, a doctor's assistant or like nurse practitioner or whatever you want to call it. And uh, I'm looking for River and my, you know, my wife Carrie. I'm like, where, you know? So I, I lead the doctors through the house. We go back to the garage, which is sort of like a rec room. It's where I record. And uh, there they are. It's my, it's Carrie's there. My son River's there. My daughter Evan. Like the whole family just happened to be in the garage. And I bring the doctor. Uh, and her assistant into the, into the garage. And she's going to look at River's ear. No big deal. So I pick him up and then I I sit on the floor. I was like, how are we going to do this? So I sit on the floor because there's not like any app, you know, you don't have the usual trappings of a uh, physician's office. There's no table. So I sit on the floor. If you can imagine it, I've got my son in my lap and, uh, my legs are Just like straight out, basically, or like kind of like V-shaped, but you know what I'm saying. I'm sitting on the floor, and this doctor with a nose ring, uh, like essentially straddles one of my legs, and I don't want to make too much out of it. It's just a weird moment. It was was like hard to decipher, and uh, I was looking at Carrie. I was, like, glancing at her, like, trying to make eye contact. Like, are you seeing this? Uh, I think, like, there's a pediatrician sitting on my foot. And she didn't need to sit on my foot. Like, it wasn't necessary. And I guess that's, like, wh- like what I'm driving at. Like, I feel like maybe she made the choice to sit on my foot. And then, I, then in my head, I was like, well, maybe you're projecting something here. Like maybe, like maybe this is just like how the woman operates. She's not a self-conscious person. She's a pediatrician. She goes door to door. She looks at children. She sits on people's feet. But uh, ask yourself this. <laughs> ask yourself this. When's the last time somebody sat on your foot who you just met? It's been a while, hasn't it? So if you can try to picture this, yeah, you know, I'm sitting there. I've got a uh, pediatrician with a nose ring. It's like sitting on my foot, and I've got my son in my lap. I'm like looking at my wife, like you know, are you seeing this? And I couldn't move because if I move, like she was, you know, her nether region was on my laces. If I moved my foot at all, I was worried she might think like something. You know what I'm saying? I was I was frozen. I felt a little violated and confused. It's a new experience for me. I haven't had a lot of physicians in my home, you know, it's adjusting to the new gig economy. I told Carrie about it afterwards. I was like, did you see that I was trying to make eye contact with you? Doctor sat on my foot. She was like, yeah. I was like, isn't that weird that she chose to sit on my foot? very overtired and uh, it turned out that river didn't even have an ear infection he was fine and i should add too the the doctor was very nice nurse practitioner very nice it was a positive experience i felt like they were competent just confused by the fact that she sat on my foot that's all that's all i wanted to express So anyway, uh, speaking of River, he was just in here a second ago. He uh, He's two now. He, As many of you know, he's been dealing with health challenges since he was born and uh, has been doing pretty well. And we're really proud of him uh, for a whole host of reasons. But one of the things that we're excited about is the fact that he's talking a lot. And so uh, when he was in here, I asked him, I said, do you want to say something to the microphone? And uh, he, he said that he did. So I talked to him for a second. I thought it would be funny to share... Just like a bit of that with you. So here's River. Okay, I'm here with my son River. He's two and a half years old. River, can you say hi to everybody?
1: Hi, everybody.
0: How are you feeling today? You feeling good? Yeah. What's your favorite movie? What movie do you like? What did we watch the other day?
1: Karate Kid.
0: Who's in Karate Kid? Who's your favorite character? Say, Mr. Miyagi. Can you do karate? Hi. All right. Well, can you say goodbye to everybody? Say, bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.
0: Say, talk to you later.
1: Talk to you later.
0: Bye-bye. All right. I mean, you know, it's pretty cute. Aww. But I know some of you hate children. So uh, I respect that. You don't like children. It's okay. Not everybody has to like children. I'm just a proud father. Hope you can understand that. My son is too. He was just in here. Like, what am I supposed to do? a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. My guest today is Jamie Attenberg. Her new novel, Uh, All Grown Up, is available in trade paperback from Mariner Books. Out there now. Go get your copy. I had such a good time talking with her. Uh, We went for a walk afterwards. We got a smoothie together. We took Twiggy for a walk. She got the full Twiggy experience. So, uh, just a joy to have her on the program once again, and to get to meet her in person for the first time. This is Jamie Attenberg. Her new book, One More Time, is called All Grown Up,
2: and it's it's falling apart. Like you're watching it fall apart. Um, and I felt so crazy. I, I bought a house and moved down there, and I was like, I'm moving. To, I'm buying land on a state that's sinking. Yeah, I was going to say. The- <laughs> Well, my, but l- I did it anyway listen my dad
0: uh, grew up <laughs> down in south Louisiana on the gulf and uh it's the city that he grew up in is going to be gone like mm. I think it's I think that's legit it's one of those, yeah it's like down in the bayou it's gone it's gone in like a hundred years yeah yeah I, you know and so that's that's uh something to contend with
2: <laughs> it's really yeah I mean it's just it's and in the city you know we just had a bunch of flooding that went on just within the city where it rained a bunch and and nobody had like cleared out i mean this is a true story it's like they needed to like clear out like all the you know storms sewers and all that kind of stuff and they they finally did and they, it was like 10 tons of mardi gras beads t- for real
0: 10 tons. i maybe
2: made that number up but like a like an, ins- an insane amount of mardi gras beads that were just blocking the sewer system (laughs) in New Orleans.
0: God only knows what the sewer system in New Orleans looks like, Like, it's like Vegas because people go there, especially when you're going to the quarter, like you're going there to get fucked up. And it's like when you go to Vegas, like not only are you going there to have fun, but you're going there to have like the most fun you've ever had in your life. It's
2: pretty fun there.
0: Yeah. You're trying to set a record. I feel like people go there trying to set some sort of personal record. So when I think of hotels or I think of like Airbnbs, I'm always like, what happened in this room? More so, than, more so than I do when I stay in other cities. Yeah,
2: I um, I actually because I travel so much, um, I like New Orleans is where I go to like dry out. Like New Orleans is like my calm space for me. Oh, so interesting. It used to be when before I moved there, it was I would go there for three months a year, and I and it was not that for me. It was like have as much fun as you could possibly have while you're here. But now it's like home. It's where I live. So I mean, I do have a good time there, but. I, I don't, you know, people who live there are not the ones who are walking around Bourbon Street.
0: That's right. Yeah. It's like, it's like a uh, Hollywood Boulevard. We have Boulevard.
2: jobs and lives and don't want to die.
0: But very, and very few, I mean, they don't, I guess people live in the quarter, but it's uh, like yeah. most, my cousin, I have a lot of cousins who live down that way and they live uptown or off Carrollton or, you yeah. know, something.
2: Although apparently they just changed all this, like, they changed like the Airbnb law for the quarter. So you can only do it X amount of time. And so everybody's selling their houses they're home, like condos or whatever there's like a there's a glut of of available housing in the french quarter so if you want to buy a condo now's some, the time now is really the time to do it there's it's more than they've ever had because everyone's like well i can't make any money off of it anymore so they're getting out yeah which is great
0: remember I, when brad and angelina had a place in the quarter yeah do you know i remember i've walked by he it.
2: made all these houses after katrina
0: that is that good
2: yeah they're they're across the um they're in the I live in the upper ninth ward and they're, they're in the lower ninth ward, um, across the, did I just reverse that? Um, across the bridge. Um, they call it, um, make it right.
0: Pittsburgh. Oh, but isn't it like the make it right foundation? I don't know. Something no, like but that. that's
2: what they call that whole thing. Cause it's Brad Pitts. Oh, it's Pittsburgh.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's like some sort of, he's got some sort of architecture. Fetish. They're
2: cool. They're kind of cool looking house. I've never been in any of them, but they're kind of cool looking houses, but they're really, um, just kind of away. way sort of off in the distance when you drive by from the main road. Anyway, I'm not really, nobody cares. I remember, no, (laughs) I I care. I
0: remember walking past the house that they, or the, you know, they own this like giant townhouse in uh, the French Quarter and I forget what street it was on, but it's right there. And I was like, were they ever actually there or did they just get it like post Katrina as like some sort of statement? Yeah. It's almost like.
2: I don't know the answer to that question. Although it is, people do leave you alone there. Yeah. I think I see celebrities every so often who live there that i didn't know live there like who i don't um i just forgot her name um Jessica Lang. she lives there she lives she has a place there and she's there frequently um i didn't know John Goodman lived there but he apparently lives there i just read an interview with him where he said he lived in new orleans wow i sometimes see Woody Harrelson he has a house there huh. um i mean
0: it's got, like, this is the thing about New Orleans, is that it feels singular in a time in which few cities in America feel that way. Like, when you're there, mm. you know you're in New it's Orleans. It's cool there. When you're in, like, you know, like where I grew up in Indianapolis, it's like, you, know, you could be in Cincinnati. Yeah. What yeah, you, yeah. You know, like, but
2: it's cool. It's cool there. Um, it feels really special to me. I feel, like, really connected with my neighborhood. Have, you know, only two years in, but I feel like I like my neighborhood. I want to participate in my neighborhood um i do you know your neighbors i know my neighbors i i live like the street i live on i no more know more no neighbors around the corner but i have a lot of friends in the neighborhood um they were just trying to start this uh i'm so obsessed with this but they were trying to t- develop a boutique hotel they bought somebody some of these evil developers from philadelphia pretend pretend like they're cool and down but they are not um they bought four houses that had a shared backyard evicted everybody in the house and they want to turn it into a boutique hotel. It's like a block away from my house and the back of their houses butts up against other people's houses that they don't, you know, people who've lived there and they want to turn it into like a wedding venue and put a pool in and a restaurant. And so the whole neighborhood is really united and has like gone to like city council meetings. And I went in front of the historic, um, I can't remember what it stands for, like HDLC, which is like a historic design commission and talked about my concerns and, Um, everybody's signing petitions and protesting and it's, it's, I don't know if it's going to work or not, but they seem to keep getting rejected along the way, but it still keeps kind of moving along. But I've learned so much in the past three months participating in, in this protest against this, um, boutique hotel. But it does feel like if it goes in that it will somehow really dramatically alter the you know the, the nature of- the feel and the nature of the neighborhood
0: locally like I think getting active locally is great and it does work like I just uh I was petitioning our city councilman for more patrols in our neighborhood because mm. there's just been like a spike in weird crime and theft and you know I was like this is enough like I've got kids like and so I went to a meeting Congratulations! And it was, like, and it was you know, But it was, like, it was like three people. There was yeah. like three people there. But then they have this board sitting up there in the front of the room. And They
2: care, and it's their job to care, right?
0: And I stood they up. They have I, to pay attention. And you know what they did? What the LAPD just increased the patrols in this neighborhood. Ah. so I don't know if it wasn't just me. Yeah, there, there were a lot of people chirping. But like, it, it does work. You yeah, know? it and, does.
2: Local politics is pretty hot. I we you know in New York for twenty years. Just my neighborhood. There was not um, any. The local politics scene was very weird there because I lived right on, um, right on the edge of a Hasidic community and they had their own deal going on. So it was like, you couldn't even figure out what you were supposed, you know, there was just, it was very mysterious. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) Um, so I, and I was like, I also felt like I couldn't, I, New York can make you feel really helpless at times. Um. Because it's so vast.
0: I was going to say, you just get kind of lost in it.
2: Yeah, Um, and I think that the smaller, something about the smaller city is making me feel like I can really participate and help make, you know, a little bit of a change. Do you
0: you miss New York? Do you ever think to yourself like, well, I don't want to go back? Or did you have your time?
2: I lived there a long time. I lived there twenty years. Um, I just was back, back this week as part of this tour. It's too big for me now. It's too noisy. Uh, I love all the people there. Like, that's the thing. It's 20 years, 15 years, whatever, of friendships. And it's hard to let that go. Um, and I don't want to let it go. And also, like, my business is kind of still there, because um, that's where the media and publishing world is.
0: But, but you established yourself before you left. I did the work. You did the work.
2: I did the work. Um, but I don't know. I can't really imagine living there again. It doesn't seem... I love having... I have a tiny house, but it's mine. And this little backyard. And I like. I just feel um, happy and comfortable there. Although... So when I came back to New York this week, I was... This happens at least once whenever I come back. Somebody will say to me, oh, did you get nice now? Like, are you... Like, I'll just... I'll be like a little bit too easygoing about something. And they're like, we're going to need you to like... <laughs> Get it together a little bit and yeah. get the little edge back in like we're going to... And so now that I've been on the road for a week and I'm a, I'm a little tired and edgy for sure. But, I sense that about you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like this, she
0: could stab me at any yeah.
2: moment. <laughs> but I... Um, yeah, I definitely need to sleep in my... Because I... I mean, I've slept in like four beds this week, but um, I definitely need to go home to my own spot. Uh, but it's... I, I don't want... It's not worth it to me to go back to New York and put on the armor that you need to wear in order to survive in that city. I'd rather... Just be, I, I'm just happier. Armor's heavy. It's real heavy. Um, and I'm, I don't know, I'm just getting older. And I was like, what do I want? Like, okay. What do I?"
0: So let, let's get to your book. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, you know, all grown up. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was thinking about it, like, because I, I mean, independent of your book, but also because I knew I was going to be talking to you. I was like, what does it mean to be grown up? I don't know. <laughs>
2: Nobody knows. Like,
0: I, yeah. And like, do you ever really feel grown up? Uh, there's such a part of me that I feel is kind of permanently adolescent, which might be like a damning admission to make. Mm. But I just mean like confused, a little anxious, unsure of myself, mm. not wanting to take on the burdens of responsibility that come with adulthood. And, you know, doesn't everybody have a little bit, a little tug of that? It's sort of nice to be.
2: I don't know the answer. I mean, it might be a personal thing for you. <laughs> <laughs> Although I just was in your house and you have children and a puppy and,
0: I mean, yeah, I have like the, you have a life. I have the trappings of adulthood, but there is part of me that like does feel I guess connected to past me's uh, and maybe that's just normal human stuff.
2: I just wanted to for me, I just wanted to know. I wrote, you know, you anytime you write a book, you there's a question you're answering, right? There's many questions you're answering, but I think I was trying to understand what it means what it meant to be a grown up. I learned from this book. I mean the character her choices are different than my choices and we're vastly different people but um but I was solving that problem through her. I was posing those questions through her. So her the answers she arrived at are different than the answers that I arrived at. But I'm I'm a cool with being with an adult making adult choices and being a grown-up. But also it's easier for me because I have like a more unconventional life, right? So I don't have kids and I um do whatever I want to do. And my job allows me the freedom to travel and, um, or make my own schedule. So, um, so it's almost in a way, e- I guess I didn't think it was easy for me to be an adult. And now I recognize that it's actually super easy for me to be an adult. Like I have a- so much luxury that I should be making adult decisions. I should be a grown up. Right. So I've arrived, you know, I've arrived at that place finally.
0: And so when you talk about writing this book and you talk about having a question that you wanted to answer, that's where you started in the writing of the book. Yeah. Because I just had Lynn Tillman in here and we were talking about this very thing, how it seems like it's the more normal course of events when working on a book to sort of begin in a, in a more vague way, in a less like defined way.
2: For sure. I did that.
0: And to then yeah. like at towards the end of the process, you know what it is, you realize like, oh, this is the question I wanted to answer. But she was talking about how like she begins with like very explicit, specific questions and then tries to answer them in the work. And so I find that interesting. I think another writer that comes to mind who feels that way to me is like Vonnegut where like, he's got some sort of philosophical question that he, yeah. he's working from as opposed to toward if that, you know.
2: I mean, I did, I was just more exploring this character. So I wrote like three chapters or stories, I guess. Um, They all sort of started out as stories first, about a year before. And then I threw them away and I wrote another book. I didn't throw them away, but I just was like, this isn't a book that I'm going to write. And it was all, it really was about this woman watching her best friend get married, have a baby. One was get married, one was have a baby, and one was get divorced. And she was watching her experience, all the like grown up life- story like that cycle of story it was a yeah it was like a story cycle from her perspective of like never getting married never having a baby never endorsed, and like her life just being a little bit me- like being messier than her friend's life and I wrote that and then I was like done with it and I didn't think I needed to go back to it and then um and then I did I came back to it because Alex Chi who's a really good friend of mine he knew I was kind of had written tried to write something else a ghost story and I threw it away and then I was like, I don't know what to do. He's like, let me just see that other stuff that you were working on. Like one of the stories got, had gotten published on Guernica. And then he said, let me just see it. And I showed it to him. And he, he's like, I don't know why you're not writing this. And so then I I went away. I went to a residency. I was like, I'm just going to try it. And I went to a residency. And I wrote down a list of all these things, questions about being a grown up. And also about being a woman. And there was just a lot of stuff there. And I and I just went through and I wrote each a story surrounding each one. So each one is kind of a question, but the larger question I think is, you know, what does it mean to be a grown up?
0: And it does explore, it explores a lot of these, you know, questions that, um, you face as you move through adulthood, like to get married, to have children, to not get married, to mm. not have children. If you make that choice as a man, what does it mean? If you make that choice as a woman, what does it mean? If, uh, I was just looking, uh, at some article online recently, it was like just the other day and they were, um, it was like a, what do you call it? Um. Not a listicle, but a infographic, mm. and it was breaking down the percentages by generation of those who are married versus those who are not in the twenty-four to thirty-six age bracket, or something. And I think like a full fifty-eight percent of the millennial generation in that age bracket is not married. Mm. And you know the trend is it's trending toward people choosing not to get married. Uh, you which, don't need to get married. Yeah, which wasn't the case. Yeah. you know, in pre previous generations, so things are shifting. And, yeah. and that, mean, that means a redefinition of what does it mean to be grown up?
2: I know. And then also like a lot of the characters in the book are even, even if you, yeah, even if you do get married, it doesn't mean anything. Or if you have a baby, that doesn't mean you're a grown up. That right. just means biologically.
0: You procreated. Yeah.
2: you Yeah. Something happened. I think that's what I did. <laughs> something <laughs> magic happened. Uh, yeah. So um, these, so it's coming, you know, all the characters are kind of having their own existential crises throughout the book here right. and there. The, her mother does, her sister-in-law does, her brother does. She has coworkers. She doesn't know what she wants to do. She doesn't really like her job. She's good at it, but she doesn't really like her job. But um, although it was important to me that she be good at her job, yeah, um, I sort of had her be kind of average at her job. And my editor and I talked about it, and she said um, – and she'd wanted me to, like, make the character a little s- – s- s- like, I tend to be hard on my characters, and then my editor – warm, makes me warm it up a little bit. And then I had this like very interesting experience where, um, Rebecca Traster had this book about being single, all, all the single ladies that came out. It was a nonfiction book. And, um, and she had a book party and this, Anna Holmes, who's a friend of mine was in conversation with her for her book party in New York. And Anna had posted a picture on Facebook of all the women in the audience at it. And I I was like studying that picture. Cause I was like these. These are the women in, you know, out a reading for all the single ladies. And my book is about the single woman.
0: Didn't, didn't Megan Dahm do a book like that? Like some sort of anthology? Or maybe oh, she maybe. was... A, or oh, maybe yeah. She people who was... didn't
2: want to get married. It was like a non-marriage. I think it was a non-marriage book. Oh, okay. Maybe, I think. Um, and I, But anyway, I was staring at the, all these women, their faces. And I was like, all these women are good at their jobs. I just knew it instinctively. And I like actually stole that picture from Facebook and I put it on my desktop. And I was just like staring at them and studying them. And so then I went back into the book and I was like, I need to make it really clear that she's really great at her job. Whether she likes it or not is, is I mean, it is relevant, but it's not, you can be great at your job and not like it for sure.
0: That's like most people, I yeah.
2: think. Yeah. So I was looking at, I mean, I really was looking at, I mean, it's a 360, the book to me is a 360 view of like being a woman um, and especially at a certain age at a certain age. Oh, I hate that phrase. And I just used it yeah. at her age. <laughs> yeah. It's tough stuff
0: to talk about, frankly. Yeah. You know, because it's uh, you can walk into like landmines, but it, uh, it's, I think it's on everybody's mind or it's mm. on most people's mind, whether you, whatever side of the equation you happen to fall on.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm 46, so I know what side I fall on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the but, guy that's dying. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm 40, almost 43.
0: Um, but, you know, it's like, uh, it's easy, I think for me anyway, just temperamentally to second guess the decisions I've made in life. You want to, I want to do life right. And I know there's no way to like, that's always in quotes, but yeah, I want to make wise choices and I, I worry it's easy to worry. Like what, like going back in time, like God, I used to be so stupid mm. Like, didn't, did, did we all, I mean, it, I was
2: a oh, hellion yeah, for many, many years.
0: Were we all as stupid as me though? I feel yeah. like I might've distinguished myself. I don't know how, I <laughs> don't know like
2: the details and you'll have to tell me later how stupid you were, but I was plenty stupid. I mean, uh-huh. I definitely like through have thrown down a lot in my life and, um, and I, there, I think just physically I couldn't have kept going honestly, if I could still do drugs, I would totally do drugs. Like I love doing drugs. You were able, you were able
0: to turn it off. I did.
2: I I think I just, for me, it was like the recovery time got really hard and it would be like three days I'd be recovering. And then at some point I really, when I started to focus on writing in my career, which was in my, my first book came out in 2006. So I was 30. Five then, but I wrote it in 2004. So in my early thirties, I started to really buckle down. And I mean, even though I still had a great time after that, but I, um, now I really enjoy getting up to do my work and there's never a time where I think I have three days to spare right. to just do, to, and certainly not to be hung over in bed.
0: You want to, I, I had the exact same experience more or less yeah. where I went to Vegas for a friend's bachelor party. That was the last time I ever like really went for it. Never did it again. And I I was hung over for like, I wasn't right. Like a week. Two. And the reason I know is because I was working on a novel then and I was keeping word count. Yeah. And charting it. Like I would just write down where I was every day just so I could have it in front of me. Yeah. And I just looked at the the two week period after that. And I was like, I can't do this. Like this is, took a bite out of me. Yeah. I was like, this isn't worth it. It's
2: not worth it. It's not. And even like, especially uh, Mardi Gras season in New Orleans. Oh God. Yeah. I just, this year I had a, I got an, an assignment like a travel writing assignment and, you know, Mardi Gras lasts weeks and weeks and in the middle, but I had this travel assignment to go to Guatemala for a week. And I was like, is this, w-? it's my first time not doing all of Mardi Gras season, right. In six years. And, and actually it made me feel like I officially live here. Cause I can like not do Mardi Gras. <laughs> right. I mean, I got to do the tail end of it, but I was like, I took like a week off in the middle and came back and was very fresh and just hadn't been like running around doing these things. And I had a friend that I, who I love her, but I I ran into her after the fact and she'd done Mardi Gras like straight through. And then it was like maybe two weeks later, two, it was two weeks or something after Mardi Gras. And she's like, I'm really having like a Mardi Gras withdrawal. And I was like, it's been two weeks, (laughs) but it actually like might take you two weeks to like recover if you do it straight through.
0: The drinking culture Mm. in the South, but especially in New Orleans. I mean, like my cousins live there and have kids and like they go to little league games. There's like a full bar at the Little League. Oh Park. yeah, for sure. You're standing there at like eleven o'clock There's in the a lot morning of there. Yeah. And it's like you're having yourself a mimosa or whatever it is, you know. And uh they don't think twice about it. And when you're there as a visitor, I'm always like, Oh, it's so lovely. Like everyone's like so easy going about it and fun loving. Uh but I wonder, like, as somebody who has lived there for many years now, yeah. like do you see a corrosive effect? There were a lot of people in trouble with drinking down there? Or I is think
2: it- so. My I didn't really. I don't really notice it as much anymore. But my family came to visit. My brother was there, and he was like, "Man, there's like a, I, They were downtown though. Like they were in the quarter, and he was like, "Man, there's a lot of drinking, boozing going on here." My friends are all like productive people. I mean, I think people do drink there. Um, it's definitely more than. It's different. I, I always compare it to New York, where people drink a lot in New York City as well. Right. And people in, in New York, um, it's like they're getting off work. They're like, I need a drink. And then they're going to have like two cocktails in like an hour. And then they're going to go home, but they're going to have this really intense, like they need it kind of thing. Whereas down there, I think if no one needs it, I, I mean, certainly I'm sure people do need, quote unquote need it, but yeah. I think people were like, let's ha- let's go out and have a good time. I just so started, it's a different vibe on it.
0: I, I went through this, uh, I've, I've been feeling really weird because like back in November, I was like, I'm not going to have a glass of wine or two with dinner at night. Like I always do. Yeah. I'm, I'm that guy. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to be in this ritual. And I'm sort of Buddhist. And I was like, this, 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 I want to, I want to be better.
2: By the way, if you write a memoir and if you don't call it sort of Buddhist, I'm never going to forgive you. <laughs> Buddhist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might, I'm working on something. It's like workable. But the point I'm trying to make is just that like, I did that for like three months. And then recently was like, yeah, I'm going to have a glass of wine.
2: Yeah. How did you feel without it though? Fine. Like, Either I, way. It never, didn't matter.
0: never more than two. That's the thing about it. And I'm not I'm not no bullshit. I never have more. I don't get fucked up. Yeah. But I do medicate. I mean there's there is an effect when you it's have two, sure. two glasses of wine. And so like I don't know. It's like am I being ridiculous to like micromanage myself this way? Like it's not like I'm being excessive. Yeah. But I am doing it every day, which is like ritualized and is there is
2: I mean I think if you want to have a glass of wine, you should have a glass of wine. One glass of wine, they say, is good for you.
0: Two for men, one for women. Is that true? That's such bullshit. That's a lie. <laughs> Three for women because we have to put up with men.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I, li- I like, I like to. I really like to. I mean, I've just been on the road. I really did drink every night for the last week, and I'm really looking forward to just not doing it. But uh, I don't. I'm definitely not in a position to judge or assess or give advice on what, how. I know how and why people should be doing what they're doing. I know that I'm more productive. So like when I'm writing, when I'm really writing,
0: what does it, what does it look like? Let's get there. Like in terms of like (laughs) Jamie, when you're deep into a book,
2: it's different now. So it's evolves. Like I, I'm sure how I was when I wrote the middle scenes is different than how I am now. And I was just, was having this, I had breakfast with merit tears and she was asking me about my process this morning. And I was like, well, this is what it is right now.
0: By the way, this is what writers do when they have breakfast together. They just talk, talk about process. process. It's <laughs> actually like a real thing.
2: Because <laughs> she's like working on hers. And I was like, all right, here's mine. Um, I, um, right now, what I think it looks like. So it's changed because of the election. So because I, I think we're all strapped to the internet way more than we used to be. And so I have to very consciously block myself from the internet. In a really specific way, because if for even a second I turn on the internet and and catch the news, before, because we have this fucking piece of shit president who tweets at six o'clock in the morning, and so you wake up and then you like lose your mind. So I have to not look at the news at all. So what I've been doing, when I am able to, just focus on my work, and I believe this is what I will do again, is I get up and I read something for an hour, like a book, a good book. So that and that always makes me want to write.
0: you meditate, didn't we talk about this last time? Maybe
2: I do, yeah, but i um, I do, I do it, I'm doing it like once a week, okay,, um, and then here and there, when you know, but I, I'm just doing like I'm reading for an hour, I'm handwriting for an hour, I'm trying really hard not to be online until noon. Huh. so six hours of quiet writing, reading, thinking, walking my dog not taking my phone with me, contemplation, is the is the goal. That's a work day. Hell yeah. Um, and then typing up whatever I wrote in the morning, in the afternoon. But the minute I turn on a computer, it's over. Like if I get online, it's just over because there's so much to freak out about.
0: Is that why you handwrite? Simply because it, it enforces the discipline? Like there's no I
2: handwrite because I don't – I And I know everyone keeps yelling at me when I say this. They're like, you can just turn off the autocorrect in your word or whatever. But – um, I find that when I'm writing, when I'm typing things in, that it feels like things need to be perfect. And so I'm not as like creative and free flowing and that there's this little, you know, the autocorrect sort of is in my mind. Right. And then, whereas when I'm handwriting, I can just make mistakes and go long and cross things out. And so I try to do that first because it feels like the purest way to do it. There's and something
0: childlike it. about writing by hand too.
2: And there's studies about the difference between typing and handwriting and like what parts of the brain it uses, things like that. So
0: when you t- when you type it up in the afternoon, are you fixing as you go?
2: I'm fixing as I go. Oh, okay. Um, but lately, all I've been doing is dumping. I haven't been fixing. I've just been dumping it in there. And I know because I'm just I've had a bunch of other stuff going on that when I go back. So I'm doing this tour, and then I'm going to go, and then I have a couple other things I'm doing this spring, and then
0: you mean like like reading events and stuff?
2: Yeah, like I'm doing couple festivals
0: okay
2: going to san francisco for to Co- do, to coachella do a couple events right? <laughs> everyone's just dying for this 46 year old lady you'll be reading read you reading
0: coachella. in the cool downtown
2: yeah um <laughs> no it's not happening i am going to geneva switzerland which i'm very excited about oh, for a festival there i think that'd be cool that'll be fun yeah so i'm gonna go um and do a couple more weeks of travel in the next two months and then in may june july i don't have anything I'll be done with like all my freelance work. I'm not taking in any new freelance work. I'm done with my teaching. You and teach I, where? I teach like at a, I don't even want to say it because I don't, it's like a Canadian program. That I oh, teach. Okay. Only because like random, it's just, I don't know. I okay. don't know. Why I don't want to say it. It's like an online thing. It's like, I, I have two students that I work with that I, um, each year that I, Critiques send them critiques of their work.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, and then the they f- probably
2: wish I would say their name online. <laughs> it's Humber College. I don't know why I'm being funny about it.
0: All right. And then, fr- uh, freelance magazine work,
2: freelance magazine work,
0: mostly travel.
2: It's been a little bit of travel lately. Um, I do some essay last year I did like eight pieces, which was very, when I was just updating my resume, cause I was applying for residency and I was like, Oh, that's why I didn't write a new book last year because I wrote eight freaking essays for like magazines and like big, you know, pieces.
0: Could you put, could you potentially put those into a book? Like, are they of a piece or is it too disparate? I don't
2: know. I don't know how much people will care about my nonfiction writing. I mean, it's good, but I don't know if I sound like I'm like, I don't know, like Sloan Crosley, like writes very specific comic kind of pieces. Like mine are kind of all over the, there's not like a journey that I'm going on through it. Even though I guess I'm doing travel pieces. So that's a journey. It is a journey. I'm take. I try to take stuff that's interesting that'll like teach me something new or I write personal essays that I, I just did a personal essay for the New York Times magazine about getting a hysterectomy that was like, made me not want to write about my life ever again, even though it was like a really good piece, like it was a great piece and I've heard a lot of things, but also like that was so intimate that it felt like I was, I was done being intimate for a while.
0: Yeah, no, I get that. It was yeah, hard. Cause
2: you do like all, yeah.
0: I mean, I don't. Know, I do it on the show, but I mean, the, the book that I'm working on is super intimate. I just struggle with it for so long, and I, like once I get it done, I'm like, I'm gonna write. A, I'm gonna write like a fantasy fiction or mm. something, like just as a palate cleanser.
2: Yeah, essentially, it's got to be. I wrote that piece because I was in physical pain for a long time. And then I had surgery.
0: I have a friend who just got a hysterectomy and it fixed
2: it, and it'll make you feel better. If she you... had
0: she had some sort of like growth or fibroids. Fibroids. That's what I had. Her... Same. How big was it? Mine I had three. If, if I may ask, I
2: had three that were this. Each one was the size of, essentially, like a three-month-old fetus. So I basically had a baby in me that oh. I was carrying. So, Yeah, like the,
0: the... <laughs> so friend of ours just had one. It was like the size of a grapefruit. Or yeah, something. yeah.
2: It's bit. They're really big, and they are painful, and they wreak havoc on your life, and they make you crazy, and they make your period's terrible and so i lived with it though for a couple of years because i didn't i mean the essay sort of explores that right and then all of a sudden i was like oh i feel ready for a variety of reasons why i was ready to do it and could do it and now i feel so much better did did you have
0: the procedure done in new orleans in new orleans yeah hospital
2: um ashner yeah yeah my
0: cousin might have been your anesthesiologist oh really yeah what was his name it was, it was a girl. Her oh. name Kelly. Oh, I think I had a guy. Oh, you did. Um, well, maybe that's probably not my cousin. Then. No.
2: Um, <laughs> but it was like, I thought I spent, I sat on it for a year because I, to write about it. Like I had it a year ago and I couldn't figure out how to write about it, but I knew that I wanted to write about it and it felt important to write about it because I had something to share. Um, I often get approached to, you know, by editors, who read a funny tweet of mine and say, will you turn this into an essay? And I'm going to say, no, I say no a lot.
0: That never happens to me. Oh really?
2: All the time. It happens to me just last week. It happened to me. How
0: funny are your tweets?
2: They're pretty, they're, (laughs) they're like about, you know, they're interesting enough. There was one piece I, and like this editor was so lovely to ask me to do this, but it was, I tweeted something about, um, how I got invited to the perfect party near my house, which was like, it was like at a pizza part parlor and there was going to be another restaurant was bringing awesome sandwiches. And apparently there was like a frozen ice sculpture that was like, had booze coming out of it. Oh man. And my friend texted me and was like, do you want to come out? And there was like an awesome DJ. And it was, it was five blocks away from my house, something like that. But I'd already taken my bra off. So I was like, I can't go. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the rules. I can't go. And an editor approached me and was like, do you want to write about what it means to take your bra off? And I, And I tell you what, I gave my all. I wrote it. I wrote about, I wrote like a 600 word funny piece and I sent it to her and then she sent me notes back and I was like, you know what? We're not going to publish this because it's just not what I need to be saying to the world. Right. Like I just felt ridiculous writing about, it's not what I do. Yeah. But um, it's
0: nice that they ask.
2: It's really nice that they ask. And I've it, gotten a lot of really good work off of it, actually.
0: Well, but what happens to me is I tweet something and editors like, write to me and say, please stop. <laughs> just, <laughs> don't. Don't ever, just don't write about <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah.
2: It just says, shh. <laughs> um, yeah, that's I think that's why I can't get off the social media because it really is from a business perspective.
0: Well, and all the, all the writers are there. I mean, not all the writers, but that, that really is where in terms of social media, it's not
2: about the writers so much as the readers for me. Yeah. It's about connecting with an, with an audience. Although I love my writer friends and it's how I keep in touch with them, but it can make people crazy. I just try to use it for, I try to be funny on it. I try to, um, or use it. Sometimes I like fundraise for things on it. Um, I try to connect with people on it. Um, I don't, I'm not a person who's like.
0: Have we connected on social? I don't know. We need to connect. Okay. I'm, I'm good on it. You get a fave my you tweets. Can...
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I try all these things because I think that's what I can offer through it as opposed to getting into wars with people. Yeah, that's Which easy. I just can't do it. No, and it's... nobody, and I weirdly don't, and I'm knocking on wood here, but I weirdly don't get targeted in the same way. Like I have friends who just... People have figured out they're there and they get have all these men in their mentions who are saying really terrible things to them. Oh, man. And I think they're just like, look at me and like, she's just old and we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and So they leave me alone and I, nobody comes after me.
0: Well, it's to me, it's like, like just as a reader, as somebody who's like a kind of a passive observer yeah. of this stuff, I don't get engaged in the, in the wars. It drains me emotionally mm-hmm. just to observe it. I don't understand how anybody can on a daily basis endure if you're one of these people it's who terrible. is a target, like, doesn't it just sap your vital energy? It's terrible. Like
2: it's so terrible. It's an assault. It's like, it's, it's at the same as like someone like punching you in the head. I
0: think. And the, the here's the question though, is like, is it better to respond and to sort of, and to sort of a uh, punch back and like stand up for yourself? Or is it better to just let the crazies be crazy and ignore them?
2: It depends on who you are and how you, I know some people who are so good at just taking these people down. And it's really, it's really funny. I, I just think, could uh, I don't know. It's very upsetting. But I, I don't know the answer to that question. I fortunately don't really have to, like, get into it too much. But um, but I, I support my friends because they're fighting the good fight. But I just – I worry – I definitely worry about them, yeah. like, it taking a toll on them. I want them – some people just take vacations. Some people, like, you know, oh, okay, I'm off Facebook. Oh, okay, I'm off Twitter. I don't have Facebook on my phone anymore. I have Twitter on it right now because I'm traveling. I definitely have a set of rules.
0: You do for
2: social media. You're
0: a disciplined person. You are. (sighs) You get it done. What is it? Six novels now. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I get it. I mean, I but I wasn't.
0: You learned how to do it. It's a learned skill. I wanted it. Yeah.
2: I was hungry for it. Now I like it. That's another thing, Meredith and I were talking about this morning. Actually, too bad she's not here. We could all chat more. (laughs) Because I was like, this is how I pay my, I don't have a choice. This is how I pay my bills. There's no going back. Like I, I don't even know what job I could possibly get at this point. Right. And I love my job and I just don't want to, so I have to get up and do the work. I mean, I I want to do it, but also I have to do it.
0: And it's also like, what a privileged uh, privileged. existence and like, it's a rich way to live, to be in the world of books and to get to like six hours to be contemplative like, I don't know. It's a, it's a good way to to live your life. I think there yeah. were, there are worse ways.
2: It's good, and then also like the things that you can do because of it, things that you can make happen. At you know, there's organizations that I'm involved with that I'm like, okay, now I can tweet about this organization, and it will help raise money for this organization. Or um, I had a woman. I tweeted about this the other day, but I had a woman who came to my reading the other night, and she she said, I almost wrote you a fan letter, but I felt weird about writing a letter. So I just came to the reading tonight to tell you that I, your book made me feel seen. Oh, I know. I'm almost gonna cry saying that. This
0: book? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, and we had like a nice little chat, and I was like, "That's just that's, that's it. an incredible moment," and I mean, it really was like an incredible moment in my life. And it's not the first time that I've heard it, but there was I just didn't expect it, and I. Why I are those
0: know. moments so easy to forget? It's like then, then you'll be like beating yourself up someday. It's like you need to have like a little list file. of
2: like how. But it's good. It's like it changes you a little, you know, affects your synapses or whatever a little bit. Makes you feel, it keeps you going. All those things keep you going. Yeah. So it's worth it to try to find, to write a book that will make people feel seen or less alone or connected or, um, or entertained or I don't know. I just sent the first like 50 pages of my new book to my agent and we, and then he was like, oh, this, and I'm not going to say what it was. And then we had like a conversation about it. And then about his life and like how he felt connected to this, this thing. And I was like, all right, I'm on the right path because somebody else is going to feel that way.
0: I feel like all grown up, you know, you're speaking to, it's like one of these things where you're not the only author out there who has dealt with these kinds of themes, but there's a particular take on being, um, an independent woman who's leading a quote unquote unconventional life. That I think is sort of like right there under the surface for so many people, mm. and so books that articulate something that's sort of there but isn't necessarily being said. Um...
2: I mean, to me, it all feels really obvious, but yet at the same, but maybe it's said in a nonfiction way and not said in a fictional way.
0: Yeah, or, like I it
2: didn't know. feel like. I mean, I certainly in- invented her, but I didn't feel like she. I wasn't like creating a supernatural character, you know?
0: like No, but I can feel how reading her story would feel like a relief.
2: To, I think to some people it does feel like... And then some people hate her and they just can't deal with it at all. And it's it's too personal for them or they're not enough. I mean, I don't know, whatever. I can't critique my readers who don't like me because... Or, or not my readers, but a reader who doesn't like my work because everyone's allowed to feel however they want to feel. But I've definitely seen some commentary where they're just where people are like, it's too, it's too close. So I don't want to read it. I've also just had people who are like, I hate her. I don't connect with her. She's too Do you want narcissistic. To my, you or... want to
0: know my weird take? Like reading it? It's is, you. <laughs> it's actually, it's my inner child. Uh, I feel like, like what it reminded me of when I was reading it, I was like, I was like this is almost like a female Brett Easton Ellis hmm. character. That's interesting. Because uh, there's something I feel like pretty masculine about his books it's not it's not like a one for one yeah but i felt like it was some sort of like inversion of that or something
2: huh that's interesting
0: i don't know was I that what you were think... thinking when you sat down yeah the old... i totally <laughs> i think about him all the time
2: when i meditate i just say Ellis, over and over again he's my mantra um no i don't i no but i he, you know bright lights big city big influence oh it was when i was in high school okay so there's something about the speediness of that book it's a speedy New York book, and this is a speedy New York, it book, is. and the pacing of it is really speedy. Totally. So maybe that's what you're.
0: I could feel there's just because it's a New York book, yeah. and maybe that is it is. It that was deliberately pace.
2: like it was deliberately paced in a specific way, and and even I'm finding that I am still, uh, the book that I'm working now working on now, the pacing is there's remnants of this pacing and that pacing, and I actually need to slow it. down. Like I know that when I do a revision, I'm going to slow it down, but I enjoyed. The, pacing.
0: Yeah. It's fun to read
2: this. Yeah. I wanted it to feel, I was thinking about how people read now yeah. and how we get information now. Yeah. And so I was writing a book that was like tar- like targeted to a specific, like, if you see my notes, my little journal entries to myself while I was writing this book, it's just like really thoughtful about how people consume information.
0: Well, and there's also like, a. I mean, it's very like, it's, uh, the voice is very literary, but there's also like a kind of a, a very conversational vernacular feel it's a trick. Cause it's not like, yeah. I don't mean to suggest that it was just like a, no, there's, lots, off, of, no,
2: there's lots of tricks in it.
0: Yeah. yeah it, it's hard to do, but there it, was a
2: thing that I was trying to do with it where I, I thought I don't really want to write about being single. And then early, early on you sort of know, she sort of throws that away, right? Like the second chapter of the book where she's reading the book about being single and she's like, leaves it in her laundry room because she just doesn't even want to read this fucking book. And, um, and I was like, so it's like, I was saying to the reader, like this really book isn't really about being single. It's really about this bigger thing about being an adult and being a human being connected to the world. And, um, and, and so then I was freedom. like, let me try all these things, experiments within it to make it more interesting.
0: Yeah. You know, and, uh, when you talk about, uh, writing, uh, like the ritual, we talked about handwriting and we talked about you know, walking the dog and then retyping. But you, you spoke of like reading first thing in the morning. Mm. Like, what do you read?
2: Well, I'm, I try to only read good things. I don't read the, I mean, I'm sure all the books that are sent to me for blurbs are fabulous, but I don't, that blurb reading is not part of my morning reading. So
0: is it fiction for fiction though? Or are you reading for
2: fiction? Every so often I'll, in the afternoon I'll, might read like a memoir or something like that, but the morning reading should be fiction for fiction for the most part. So I just read stuff that I know is going to be good. Like I just read The Bluest Eye. Okay. And I was like, that's going to be like, I've read every, for some reason, it was like the one Toni Morrison I hadn't read. And I was like, that's going to be amazing. She's amazing. Um, And I just read it really slowly and thoughtfully. It's so good. Yeah. She's such a, I mean, it's 20 years old or whatever it is. And it's just such a great book. So I try to read stuff that I think is going to be, I read short stories. I've been actually was reading a lot of poetry.
0: It's not, I, I like reading poetry.
2: Poetry's real good. Yeah. For language, Right. I feel like there's a version that I'm going to do for this book that's going to be a poetry version of it, meaning when I do a revision I'm going to read really intense amounts of poetry and work on the language. Huh. Cuz that's what it's about to me, for me, is that is like the magic of the words and the language and poetry. That is a positive.
0: Like this pe- this specific book or just all of your this work? This
2: specific book. I think that I'm doing a uh, I mean, who knows? But, and I, I mean, so like what I'm saying is so weird, <laughs> like, Not to my listeners. <laughs> but, um, I mean, this version is just like, the first version is just like, get it all out kind of version. And then there'll be a version where I read it all out loud. Um,
0: is this normal process for you?
2: That I is reading it all like a, like, a, it takes like, you know, usually like a week to read it all out loud. And then you make little changes based on that.
0: Um, do you like record yourself or do you,
2: no, I just read it and then it happens to your dog (laughs) it's like a crazy moment when you do it like it's a week it's very intense week because you really get sick yourself in that week um and then i think i will do a version like like i really want to up the language i feel like it's
0: what's this new book about like can you give me like any kind of hint
2: it's just about um it's about i know i don't want to curse it because it's you know what if i don't finish it but um i'm planning on finishing it It's just about like a really bad man who's about to die, and it's written from all the perspectives of women in his life.
1: Oh, okay. And
2: he's like really just on the verge of like he's in a hospital and had a heart attack, and he's going to die. And so they're all kind of reflecting on
0: him. And I feel like I feel like people are ready for that book.
2: It's a there's a lot that's going on in that book. Yeah, I got to write it. <laughs> I just have to write it. But I know the title. You know what, the title. What's that? All This Could Be Yours.
0: Okay. Now, do you feel like at this point in your career, six books in, you've written a bestseller? um has got optioned, right? Didn't that happen?
2: My, my last three books have been optioned. Have
0: been optioned. So all that stuff is happening. Yeah. Like you're sort of living the, the writer dream. When you are working on a book at this stage of your career, you feel fairly confident that you're going to be published. Like, is there any fear of yeah, all? I
2: have a book deal for this. Oh, you do? Yeah. Like, and I, so
0: are you just rolling book deals now? Or is it like, every, is there a point that you could get to where it'd be like, well, we got to cross our fingers and hope it sells? I don't know. Yeah.
2: I hope I get to just, I mean, I'm in the same editor for three, the last three books. And then this one, she went to a new, she's got a new job and took me with her okay. and signed me to a two book deal. Okay. So, and she's a, I mean, I would love to just work with her for the rest of my life. It's good to have I a I suppose home. I could just. I mean I hope my career doesn't tank but it seems to be okay. It seems to be going okay. I have like lots of things in motion now. you could turn be 70 and maybe nobody cares, but I feel like I feel like I got a couple decades of good work ahead of me that I there's things that I want to say. I'm never going to run out of ideas. Yeah. Um why not? Oh my god, because there's so much to think about <laughs> in the world, don't, I don't you know. think? I don't know.
0: But sometimes like I think about like musicians especially, like rock bands. Very few of them have long, longevity. But they that's usually, different. They do their best work in their twenties. Yeah, like,
2: that's the nature of that beast, though. It is. That's how. That's just how music. That's just how that scene works. Everybody wants a like, a young, hot rock band.
0: I guess, but it's like you—you you got nothing to say. Like, I feel like they just sort of quit. It's like, like what happens to them? Like, yeah, aren't you listening to music? There's plenty
2: of writers who quit, though. Too. I always think about that. Like, I when my first book came out, there were all these writers. I used to run a reading series in New York called Class of. Okay. And so it was always debut authors. I did this for a couple of years. So I was class of two thousand and six. Right. Yeah. I think I did six, seven, and eight. And I and all these people who I was coming up with at that time. Some people continued on, and some people didn't continue on. And 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 there's all these reasons. Life happens. There's all these reasons why people don't continue on. Um, but I wonder what, why. I wonder what that is. What it means. But I don't. I. I. Have a lot of energy, and again, don't want to have to get another job. Right, and I'm not a person who comes from any kind of money. There's no like secret like inheritance coming. My like, no, not at all. And I like spent. I bought like my little tiny house in New Orleans, and I have no money left. So when I'm working, I'm like, all right, this is real. Like this is, there's no savings. This is like you're just going to keep going and doing it. So. I, I just really appreciate it. I'm really grateful, but I know I deserve it because I do the work, but I am still grateful because it is like a very luxurious existence. Yeah.
0: You know, it's... Well, in any success, in any field, it definitely takes hard work, but there also has to be a little bit of good fortune. Like good luck and timing, having the right agent, knowing the right, knowing a person who recommends mm. you. You know, mm. there's always that element. Yeah. And I think so to not have some sense of that or gratitude for that it misses it a little bit. I get, I'm always a little leery when people get really uh, loud about their, I don't know how they did it. And it's like, yeah, you did it. But like,
2: well, it's a good, I think it can be really helpful for probably for people who, I mean, it's the thing that people ask you about, like how, you know, how to, and really the answer is always like, I worked really hard for a long time. Like there's right. not any other, There's literally no other answer than I worked really hard. Right. Like there's no, there's just no shortcuts at all, which is, um, both encouraging and discouraging at the same time.
0: Yeah. You can't get good at writing fiction without just, I mean, I guess maybe there are like a couple people who just come out of the box, like super talented. Yeah. But that's, I got better.
2: I feel a sense of, I got better and I have more. Actually, I was talking to a friend of mine in, um, in new Orleans who we We publish the same amount of books he and we feel a little bit differently, which is that I still feel like I have things to prove there's things that I want to do there's things that I want to accomplish, but also i still there's something in me i don't know why that I just'm like i I need each time I just want people I want people to see what I got, you know, and then he's sort of he's less that way like he's more at peace like he's like i already know
0: are you competitive what
2: i'm good um i don't know i don't I don't think there's anyone else. I mean, I don't think there's only one me. Yeah. I actually, um, when I moved to New Orleans, I was very wary about writing um, a New Orleans book or a book set in New Orleans because I don't know the city like other people do. So I've spent the last two years um, watching what everybody else does, um, trying to figure out how I might fit into that. So like a lot of people write about crime, um, either through nonfiction or crime, the crime genre or just the prison worlds there, because it's so intense there. Um, Angola. Angola. Zach Lazar has a new book out that just got an amazing review in the New York in the New Yorker about um, called Vengeance. It's about Angola. It's a wonderful book. Um, so there's um, there's historical fiction like a lot of that because people are fascinated about the history of that city. Um, but no, I was like nobody. There's only one me here. I'm, all, I'm the only one who's doing the kind of thing that I do. Um, and that gave me, that's how I got to the place of just being able to start writing about that city a little bit.
0: Yeah. I just, why don't you write about a woman who leaves New York after 20 uh, years and moves to New Orleans. (laughs) jeez, I'm about to have that speech impediment I was telling you about. Oh, really? Where there's like the weird delay in my headphones. So
2: are you sure it's not like you're having a heart attack? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Or something like that. Yeah. For those
0: of you listening at some point during these interviews, for some reason, there like starts to be, to be this, uh, like quarter of a second delay between what I'm saying and what I'm hearing Mm. and it causes me to slur my speech.
2: Yeah. I couldn't tell that you're slurring.
0: I was about to, so I took the headphones off. I didn't want to have to, I didn't want people to have to endure that.
2: Yeah. I, okay. So let me just say that I think that like recognizing like what your skills are, what your strong suits are, like what your identity is as a writer, what you have to say in the world, which is obviously always, all of these things are constantly evolving, but like understanding what your baseline is, that I think is the key to, um, continuing your career yeah like tapping into i mean that's the thing when i have students i always like start off with here's what you're good at and here's what you need work on i'll always be tapping into this good stuff always be thinking about working on that stuff and so i do that all the time so i know i'm funny i can come up with good one-liners so i don't even think about it i just know that that's what i'm going to be doing
0: tweets that tweets that
2: get me all editors just me, swarming
0: you with job offers right
2: That get me like <laughs> women's <womensmagazine.com. laughs> $200 articles, <laughs> just what I've always been dreaming of. I, it is funny like to get to the point where I'm like I'm going to write this and actually will walk away from my, you know, $200 thing cuz I think this will actually be will make will be bad for my career. Yeah. Like I sometimes you just do stuff and you I don't want to do bad. I just only want to do certain kinds of things now. Yeah. Um so I yeah, so I know I'm funny but I also like I'm not a big plot person. I'm very character driven. I would like to be better at plot. I would like to have bigger things happen. So those are the things that I have to work on. So that's maybe why I'm always trying to prove myself with a new, with every book, because I, I want to get better at the things that I'm not good at. And I, and I want, I want to, I'm never going to write a perfect book. Like nobody ever writes a perfect book, but I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to just strive for that. Like that's the internal drive and challenge.
0: I was going to ask you, cause you have a friend who's sort of like, whatever, like I'm at peace. I, I'm, he knows he's thing.
2: great. He's so good at what he does. And yeah, he,
0: and he's happy to do that thing. Yeah, but with you, you say the, there are other things I want to accomplish and things that are driving me, and it's the drive to improve.
2: Yeah, to like make to get better.
0: To get better, to be
2: better, and to say things.
0: Do you want to be a famous author? Like, do you have a chip on? You? Do, you, do you have a chip on your shoulder? Like, I'm good at this. I'm going to be the person who gets the ride where, you know, I have this giant readership and
1: I
2: just want to keep paying my bills and I like that I get published abroad. So I like that I get to travel and I have relationships with my publishers there. And I like that I get to like know people here and like know other writers. And I like all the things that I'm doing. I don't, The friends that I have that are like really, really famous writers, it seems like it's a lot more work. They do a lot more work than I, they make a lot more money than I do, but they do a lot more work. Like which just like appearances? Just like traveling appearances and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, And they have different kinds of pressures. And I have like a very quiet, for the most part, exist, quiet existence. So I don't know. I work hard. I don't know. We all work hard. Yeah. I don't have an answer to your question. I don't think that that's, I don't think any, I don't know any writer who gets into it and is like, I want to be famous.
0: I don't know. I think we just
2: want to get published
0: that but people want a readership that people i think there are different But well, there's
2: a difference between having a readership and being a quote-unquote famous writer which is what you asked me yeah famous writer means like
0: you're a celebrity
2: something like that and that does not seem appealing to me
0: there's only like four of those anyway yeah
2: but that's like the people i know who are that i'm like who get recognized who
0: do you know who do you know actual celebrity writers i mean
2: i saw i had like saw Roxanne gay last night oh right and she's super famous and gets recognized everywhere she goes
0: yeah she's becoming a celebrity that's a lot.
2: yeah she's real she's like a real celebrity and she's, I mean, doing amazing things. It's like, like her work is changing the world. Right. It's a lot yeah. of work to yeah. do.
0: It takes a lot out of you. I mean, she's one of these people who I feel like endures a lot on social. Yeah. So.
2: She's a brave soul. She's a brave soul. Yeah. So Thank God she's fighting the, say, I don't know how she, I don't know how, I have other friends. I'm like, I don't know how you do it. I can't do it.
0: I th- this is the thing though. I feel like there are different uh, levels of ambition. Like some people just really have like gigantic ambition.
1: Mm.
0: I worry that I don't have enough sometimes. Are I,
2: you worried? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't,
0: like, I don't have like this, like burn, like some people have like a fire, you know? And they're like, I want to, make my mark on the world I know. Or, or like something. i'm like
2: literally like i would just like to get nominated for a prize i
0: don't need to win it <laughs> it's an honor to be nominated i
2: did this i did an in conversation once with i had to, i not had to i interviewed roxanne at the um tennessee williams festival new orleans maybe like four years ago something like that so i was and it was before bad Feminist. it was just before bad feminists had come out and she was just talking about her career goals and she was just like yeah i would like to win a i want to win a pulitzer and i had i it never would have been, even occurred to me to say that out loud. i i think and i was like me too. and then i was like no, that she <laughs> she means it. you don't mean it. but, but i would but maybe I'd it's love like maybe, prize, it's, but...
0: maybe it's more emotionally healthy to just come out and say that. like i'd love to win the pulitzer prize for fiction when my novel gets published. Yeah. but i mean i don't know. i don't know.
2: i literally just want to get nominated for something. i don't even care about i have this okay, so i have this whole thing. once i got i did get nominated once for Middlestein's. For the LA Times um, book prize. Yeah. Um, and I went and I didn't, I was like, there's no way I'm going to win. And I, um, I didn't even write a speech. Like, I Did just, you win? No. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Please. Um,
1: <laughs> what won?
2: Uh, ben Fountain's book.
1: Okay. And Ben
2: Fountain got, and there, I have, and there was like another story that goes with this too, but, um, and Ben Fountain got there and wrote and like gave the most amazing, articulate, intelligent, spe inspiring speech about freedom of speech. And it was wonderful. Was
0: this Billy Lynn's long halftime? Billy,
2: yeah. And, um, this was like 2013 probably. And, um, and I was like, I would never have been able to give that. I, I was like, I don't actually deserve to win the prize. Cause I can't give that speech.
0: <laughs> he had it written out.
1: He
2: had, he had it written out. He, and then I, I, that book also got, Middleton's got nominated for like a local, it was like Brooklyn Book Festival's something award. And I went to it. And again, I did not have a speech prepared because I was like, there's no freaking way I'm going to win. And then David Van won and he um, he got up there and he'd read everybody else's books. And so his speech was literally just saying nice things about everybody else's books. Aww. I know. And I was like, yeah, I didn't have that speech prepared
0: <laughs> <laughs> A terrible. <laughs> and I human. was like, someday if, <laughs> when the
2: time comes, I'm going to have, if I ever get nominated for something, yeah. I'm going to write the speech and that's, I'm going to use it. It's going to be like my, you know, I will use the secret and I'll just like, I'll be ready. But I, if I ever, but it wouldn't ever even have occurred to me to, I just presume that I wouldn't win. And I probably just haven't written the book yet. That is that, is that thing.
0: But see, there's also a part of me that I, and I know that like, it's good for publicity I had Lisa Lucas on the show. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy that these awards exist because they put a spotlight on books, but there's also part of me that can like watch, like, especially in the entertainment culture, yep. the endless trophies and award shows and like kissing oh, yeah, ones around yeah. it makes me fucking crazy. It's so stupid. It's like, well, we're giving out trophies for art and, and-
2: it's all like, I mean, I Probably already like predetermined, right, like people like know before they even get there, it seems like you watch the award ceremony, and it just feels really too neat and, sometimes and I,
0: I used to get off on watching like the Oscars because it was like fun to watch like the reaction mm-hmm. shots, and you just sort of see these like human egos unmasked because like you see the person get the public recognition, and in that moment mm-hmm. it 's a very revealing moment, so like as a human observer, I find it very fascinating but it's gotten to the point where it's just like, oh, it kinda of depresses me, it makes me sad. Yeah. Like I, I don't want but to I've, watch this. But
2: I've judged I've judged contests, um and like where people have gotten like significant amounts of money, small press kinds of things. Yeah. And that's changes lives.
1: It does like change that's lives.
2: it's so good for, for the writer. It's really and then you see them get a book deal and it's really exciting. Like a bigger you know, instead of a small press deal.
1: Yeah.
2: Not that there's anything wrong with a small press deal, but a bigger book deal, more money and you know, the chance for more opportunity that will come out of that. So that's, so those prizes do, do mean something. And I think that maybe, I don't know even what it would mean for me, like how, if anything, it would change my career at all, because I think my career is already doing its own thing. Like, I feel like it's already on its own path. I, I just, just having like a really good team in place where I really love my agent and I really love my editor. Who's and your I, agent? Doug Stewart okay. um, at We're, Sterling Lord. Okay. He's really, I'm, he's the, the longest relationship that I've had. What does liter, what does
0: literistic mean? I don't know. Is that like literary? Yeah. Okay.
2: It's a Sterling Lord was like, uh, um, kind of an old school, an old school. That's such a lame phrase. He's been a, he was around for a really long time. He was like, um, like Jack Kerouac's agent or right. something like that. So yeah. maybe a literistic means meant some something different than, um, or I don't know. You stumped me. Okay. <laughs> Let's look it up later <laughs> after we, we're done. Um, yeah. So everybody, I you know all the producers that I work with for the you know, TV projects are all really nice. I will mostly work with women, which is great for me. Um, They're all really smart. Everybody's like, you know, buys into all the things that I'm doing. Even as I've been developing the TV version of All Grown Up, nobody's asking me to change it where she's well, can we make it just a romantic com- uh-huh. comedy? Like, that's not happening. Like, everyone's like, great, we need this kind of character. We want to see this happen. We want to see this exist.
0: Would you walk away if they did ask you to do that? Because that would seem to be, like, countered to the whole deal.
2: Yes. Um, so, no, I don't think I would have, like, signed, signed with them in the first place. Like, it do- it just wouldn't really make any sense. Um, I, I'm i like, oh, I feel like she could, like, have relationships, but I just don't want it to be, like... She's I don't looking- think anybody would buy it. I don't think a network's gonna, or whatever channel is gonna buy this show thinking it's going to be anything other than that, like my intention, like either it'll happen or it won't. Um, so yeah. So, and then I got to just meet the writer who, um, is adapting St. Maisie for the first time, Oh, which was really cool. Really? Yeah. Really. For a feature film, mini series, mini series. All these things are just like in progress though.
0: But okay. So it's not like done deal. It's happening. It's going to be on the air. It's like potentially.
2: Right, it's attached to I mean that one is actually would be so good because Helena Bonham Carter is attached to play Maisie. Oh. And she's awesome. Yeah. And they have um
0: That's a good. That's a good casting it, call.
2: Totally. And it would be super super cool, but I've learned like everything takes such a long time. It's fickle. It's really fickle and
0: talk about l- luck and timing and just like some weird cosmic juju. Yeah,
2: and I feel and I somehow like have, you know, I'm not rich. <laughs> at all like i'm like all these things have been option but they aren't really an option for very much and it is really slow and everything's tied to like it actually getting made and i know that that's how you know just generally how it works
0: but things can Um, change but so it's
2: yeah and it's just but i like everyone i'm working with that's good i don't feel like um i don't feel like it's a waste of time i think even though it's not really it seems to sort of not really make you any money in the end like but it feels like it all the, everything you do can just, you know, open your world up a little bit more and you learn new things. And even just writing this, you know, as far as I've gotten in and adapting it, it's how often do you get to be in your mid forties and you learn a new skill?
0: Like writing for the screen. Yeah. Do you like it? Uh, it's a different beast. Uh,
2: I mean, I just love writing fiction the most. Yeah. Cause I can just go long yeah. and just keep going. Um, but I like coming up with funny lines. That part I like. Right. Um, I've never wanted to be a, in Hollywood or come out here and like work on a TV show or anything like that. It's not really like my jam, but I watching the last two books get it, have other writers attached to adapt and, and I felt like I would be the best person to adapt this. Why? Um, because, and I, I don't know, I just understood her really deep, deeply and, um, And I I really own that voice. Like, I wouldn't want to see somebody else try to imitate that voice. I felt like St. Maisie, like, there were so many different characters. Both of the, like, both St. Maisie and Middle have multiple voices. And this one is such a singular voice. And I, I just feel protective of it. I was just able to let those two go to really smart people. But I was, and I just didn't know enough about it. And now that I've kind of watched it, even though I'm watching it from afar, I'm like, all right, I think I get what it would take to do this um, and how much time and like what I need to be prepared for. So I'm prepared for the slowness of it. And
0: you just have to not care. I don't In care. In a weird way. You ha- But it's good. Yeah. Like Melissa Broder. And but I, I do. But Melissa I Broder and I yeah. used to write TV and talk about this. And she was like, what did she call it? She's like, it's like the douche bro. She's like, Hollywood's like the douche bro. You can't want him. Yes. you (laughs) You like you sort of have to just be like whatever and like if whatever happens you don't even care and if you approach it that way yeah it's better for your sanity and oftentimes it's the outcome tends to be better
2: i mean i've i haven't been to los angeles in a year and i and i have like all these things happening and i'm just like uh, let me know when i'm supposed to go not like i'm definitely not coming here to like just to have meetings for fun right like i felt like now it's been like a year like maybe i should just come out here and like talk to people but i don't know if it does anything i I just tried. i mean it was i the honestly the best part about this trip is like all like the stuff like just seeing like my writer friends sure and and not and i don't get what you're supposed to do like i just don't get it
0: people meet just to meet I, i really believe that they have a calendar they have to look busy taking meetings makes it look like they're doing their job yeah very few people have transactional power um to get meetings with the people who actually do is difficult right um, so unless you're in a meeting with somebody who actually has purse string, you know, hand, like hands on purse strings and can make deals right there on the spot.
2: What's the point? What's that mean? Ugh. Well, no, it's good.
0: It's good to it's, meet people. I guess because the person you meet with may one day be in that situation, but I've been on a million of those meetings and after a while you're just like, Oh my God, another one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, there's not enough that like, I just like, I'm so happy and content in my like little universe in new Orleans
0: that you've got it figured out I think, <laughs> you got a house you live in a place where you can uh you know it's a cool funky town you are publishing books you've got your team in place <laughs> things are being optioned you get travel writing assignments based on tweets like what are you worried about
2: <laughs> i'm not really i don't know but i still gotta write another book you gotta write I book. still, it's like the thing that's like in the back of my mind, every conversation I've had in the last week, I'm just like, I'm just, just going to get through this and this and this. And then I get to write the book because until I'm in it, until I am like possessed by my book where I will have that feeling when I walk around where I feel like I'm pregnant yeah. with a book,
1: yeah.
2: I'm not going to be happy. All right. I'm happy. I'm cheerful. Yeah. The sun is shining.
0: By the way, the sun is actually shining on you. I end. know.
2: Um, my, the lighting in here is really good. But, I, but I'm, not, I won't, I'm not like the best version. Like the most perfect version of myself is that person who is writing that book and, and loving what I'm writing every day. What That's about... the fulfillment for me. So there's always some, always a little something missing in my daily life if I'm not that.
0: And in, in terms of like making it all work, you know, like financially and um, keeping this thing going. Yeah. Like, do you in your head say I gotta publish a book every two years? Is it it's like... an
2: interesting conversation that I have had with my agent and my editor and um myself. Um I think it's like every two two and a half years. Um I think that I mean that's what it's been, right? I've Is that a
0: realistic pace for you? Two
2: thousand and six and it's two thousand and eighteen and that book came out two thousand and seventeen. So that's eleven years and six books. Or twelve years and six books. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I could do it. I can write a book in a year for sure. It's just tiring because you got to like uh, the grind of like all the things that go with putting out a book, like writing the essays and figuring out a narrative of um, like how you want to talk about the book.
0: Doing podcasts.
2: Doing podcast interviews. <laughs> it's um, a huge well, this is an easy one. <laughs> um, or, and just um, dealing with getting reviewed. Uh-huh. Which do you is read your reviews? Thing. Sometimes even
0: if they're bad are you like are you like kind of a guy i for got punishment? two
2: bad reviews for this book and many many great reviews and one bad review was really like she just really didn't get it and i i read it and i, I walked away from it and thought like as i was reading i was like oh she okay like <laughs> that was my like i felt like a compassionate <laughs> moment for her where i was like she must be really unhappy like that's all i could think of yeah. um
0: because, you know, this is the thing. This is an interesting point you just made. Reviewers are human. And they bring- The reviews
2: are just about the reviewer. They're not about the book a lot of the time. Yeah,
0: they, but they bring to the table, like, all of this human experience. And I, I remember thinking about this in the context of movie reviews years ago, where I was like, what? Because I go to see a movie in the theater, and I will hate it. Like, for instance, I went to see Napoleon Dynamite in a theater years ago. Yeah. I walked out, which I never do. I was like, ah, like, I don't get this. Like, this is boring to me. Like, oh, why am I sitting here? And I just got up and left. I think it's a classic. Yeah. I love it. I saw it another, uh, you know, I saw it on TV or whatever years later. And I was like, how did I miss this? Same thing with Anchorman. Yeah. The first time I saw it, I was like, eh. But it was because I was bringing stuff to the viewing. Yeah. And people do that when they read a book. So and then...
2: I understand. Yeah, I definitely understand. I mean, I've gone through, like, experiences of, of, of where well, it's just very obvious to me that it doesn't have anything to do with me or the book or... I've met people, or I've seen reviews, or I've seen people talk about it online. People love to um, tag me with their shitty reviews of my book on Instagram, on Twitter. <laughs> I fucking hate
1: these. Thanks, people. friends. Let
2: me just say this out loud again. <laughs> I tweet it all the time because it just makes me insane. But I'll just say it also in the air, like just don't tweet. You don't need to tag the author. Yeah. No need. To, they don't need to know. Right. What you think? Right. Like it's real. We know you're. You know. You see it. You do it, and and you think, oh, every time you think, oh. They must tag me because they're saying something nice about me. <laughs> and then you click on it and you're like, or not. It's terrible. <laughs> you hate me. Wow. Yeah. It's really miserable. Uh, I, I'm, i feel like I'm mostly healthy about it all. It's about, I think I'm, I don't know. I think I'm like, uh, you're human. I'm here. I'm, I'm human. But I, I've seen people where it just, I know it's not, it's not about the book. It's about the, it's not about the way I write. It's not the piece. It's not about the piece of art that I constructed. Um, although I'm not fallible. I mean you can hate it too. Like maybe it's just not a you know. I think it, I like my books. Yeah, I'm into my books. Yeah, it's I not for
0: everybody though. Not not everybody is for everyone. Yes, or, you know like right. It's, yeah, it's the way it should be
2: right. Like it's free. We're all free to think what we want to think. Just don't fucking tag me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> On that note, yeah, uh, it's so good to meet. I've never met you before in I person. Know. But I feel like I've known you for a long time and it's it's good to have you back on the show. And uh, I just want to congratulate you on all the success you've had because I I think we talked when the Middlesteens was coming out and I feel like so much has happened for you since then. Mm. So kudos to you for doing all the work.
2: Congratulations on your puppy.
0: Congratulations on like your like cool scene in New Orleans. Come visit. I will. I'll, you know, at some point I'll be down there. Sadly, it'll probably be for a funeral, but I'll I'll come (laughs) over. Just come over. (laughs) That's perfect. We'll drink. All right, Jamie. Thank you.
1: Bye.
0: Okay, guys. There you go. There you have it. That's Jamie Attenberg. Her novel, All Grown Up, is out there now in trade paperback from Mariner Books. Go get your copy, All Grown Up, by Jamie Attenberg. You can find her at jamieattenberg.com on the internet. Her Twitter handle is at jamieattenberg. She's got a Facebook. She's got a Tumblr. She's got an Instagram. It's all on her website. Check it out. All Grown Up. Go get your copy. If you want to email me, the address is letters at otherppl.com. If you would like to uh, support the show, it's patreon.com slash other If you want to get the app, the app is free. Go get it wherever you get your apps. And uh, I got to take my daughter to a guitar lesson. I got to go. I've got literally 30 seconds to finish this. And, you know, it, it, it's okay. I, I don't mean, I hope the monologue was okay. The pediatrician, she came over, she sat on my foot. I thought it was kind of funny. Hope it wasn't creepy. Is it creepy to talk about a pediatrician sitting on your foot? Is it creepy to be a, pedi- uh, a pediatrician who sits on a person's foot? I, I think it's uh, something we all need to reflect upon. Like, when's it okay to sit on somebody's foot? Is it always okay? Depends where you are, I guess. Maybe it's a cultural thing. I gotta take my daughter to, get to, uh, to guitar. I gotta go. I gotta go.